0: Hello there members, welcome back to Joan of Arc and Joan tells of her visions. The court met next on Monday the 27th. Would you believe it? The bishop ignored the contract limiting the examination to matters set down in the process verbal and again commanded Joan to take the oath without reservations. She said, you should be content, I have sworn enough. "'She stood her ground, and Couchon had to yield. "'The examinations was resumed concerning Joan's voices. "'You have said that you recognised them as being voices of angels "'the third time that you heard them. "'What angels were they? "'Saint Catherine and Saint Marguerite. "'How did you know that it was those two saints? "'How could you tell the one from the other? "'I know it was they, and I know how to distinguish them.' By what sign? By their manner of saluting me. I have seen and been seven years under their direction, and I knew who they were because they told me. Whose was the first voice that came to you when you were thirteen years old? It was the voice of Saint Michael. I saw him before my eyes, and he was not alone, but attended by a cloud of angels. Did you see the archangel and the attendant angels in the body? or in the spirit. I saw them with my eyes and my my body, just as I see you. And when they went away, I cried because they did not take me with them. It made me see that awful shadow again that fell dazzling white upon her that day under La Abrefe di Bolomo. And it made me shiver again. Though it was so long ago, it was really not very long gone by. But it seems so, because so much had happened since. In what shape and form did St. Michael appear? As to that, I have not perceived permission to speak. What did the archangel say to you that first time? I cannot answer you today. Meaning, I think that she would have to get permission of the voices first. Presently, after some more questions, as to the revelations which had been conveyed through her to the king, She complained of the unnecessary of all this, and said, "'I will say it again, and I have said before many times in these sittings "'that I answered all questions of this sort before the court of portiers, "'and I would, that you bring, yes, you would bring here the record of that court, "'and read from that, prithee, send for that book.' "'There was no answer. "'Ah, it was a subject that had to be got around and put aside.' The book had wisely been gotten out of the way, for it contained things, which would be very awkward here. Among them was the decision that Joan's mission was from God, where it was the intention of the inferior court to show that it was from the devil. Also, a decision permitting Joan to wear male attire, whereas it was the purpose of this court to make the male attire do hurtful work against her. How was it that you were moved to come into France by your own desire? Well, yes, by my own desire, but by command of God. But that, it was his will, I would not have come. I would soon have been. Well, I would soon have had my body torn in sunder by horses and come, lacking that. Bupia shifted once more to the matter of the male attire, now, and proceeded to make a solemn talk. About it. That tried Joan's patience, and presently she interrupted and said, it is a trifling thing, and I have no consequences, and I did not put it on by counsel of any man, but by command of God. Robert de and did not order you to wear it, no. Did you think you did well in taking the dress of a man? I did well to do whatsoever thing God commanded me to do. But in this particular case, do you think you did well in taking the dress of a man? I have done nothing but by command of God.' Beaupier made various attempts to lead her into contradictions of herself, also to put her words on acts in disaccord with the scriptures, but it was lost time. It did not succeed. It returned to her visions, the light which shone about them, the relations with the king and so on. Was there an angel above the king's head the first time you saw him? By the blessed Mary. She forced her impatience down and finished her sentence with tranquillity. If there was one, I did not see it. Was there light? There were more than three thousand soldiers there, and five hundred torches, without taking account of spiritual light. What made the king believe in the revelations which you brought him? He had signs. Also the council of clergy. What revelations were made to the king? You will not get that out of me this year. Presently, she added, During three weeks, I was questioned by the clergy at Chinon and Poitiers. The king had a sign before he would believe, and the clergy were of opinion that my acts were good and not evil. The subject was dropped now for a while. Bupia took a matter of miraculous sword of Phoebus to see if he could not find a chance there to fix the crime of sorcery upon Joan. How did you know that there was an ancient sword buried in the ground in the rear of the altar of the church of St Catherine of Fairbouw? Joan had no concealments to make on this. I knew the sword was there because my voice told me so, and I sent to ask that it be given to me to carry it in the wars. It seemed to me that it was not very deep in the ground. The clergy of the church caused it to be sought for and dug up, and they polished it, and the rust fell easily off it. Were you wearing wearing it when you were taken into the Battle of Compiègne? No. But I wore it constantly until I left St. Denis, after the attack upon Paris. This sword, so mysteriously discovered, and so long and so constantly victorious, was suspected of being under the protection of enchantment. Was the sword blessed? What blessing had been invoked upon it? None. I loved it because it was found in the church of St. Catherine, for I loved the church very dearly. She loved it because it had. "'been built in the honour of one of her angels. "'Did you lay it upon the altar, "'to the end that it might be lucky? "'The altar of St. Denis?' "'No. "'Didn't you pray that it might be made lucky? "'Truly it were no harm to wish "'that my harness might be fortunate. "'Then it was not that sword "'which you wore in the field of Compiègne. "'What sword did you wear there? "'The sword of Burgundian Franquet de Ares, "'whom I took prisoner in the engagement of Lagne.' I kept it because it was a good war sword, good to lay on stout thump and blows with. She said that quite simply, and the contrast between her delicate little self and the grim soldier words, which she dropped with such ease, familiarity, from her lips made many spectators smile. What has become of the other sword? Where is it? Is that, in the process, verbal? But Pierre did not answer. Which do you love best, your banner or your sword? Her eye lighted gladly at the mention of her banner, and she cried out, I love my banner best, oh, forty times more than the sword. Sometimes I carried it myself when I charged the enemy, to avoid killing anyone. Then she added, naively, and, with again the curious contract between her girlish little personality and her subject, I have never killed anyone. It made a great many smile. And no wonder, when you consider that a gentle and innocent little thing, she looked, One could hardly believe she had ever seen men slaughtered. She looked so little fitted for such things. In the final assault at Orleans, did you tell your soldiers that the arrows shot by the enemy had the stones discharged from the catapults? Would not strike any? Anyone but you? No. And the proof is, more than a hundred of my men were struck. I told them to have no doubts and have no fears that they would raise the siege. "'I was wounded in the neck by an arrow in the assault upon the Bastille. "'That commanded the bridge. "'But St Catherine comforted me, "'and I was cured in fifteen days without having to quit the saddle and leave my work. "'Did you know that you were going to be wounded?' "'Yes. I had told him to the king beforehand.' "'I had it from my voices. "'When you took Jagot, why did you not put in commandant to ransom?' "'I offered him leave.' "'to go out unhurt from the place, with all his garrison, "'and if he would not, I would not take it by storm. "'And you did, I believe?' "'Yes. "'Had your voices counselled you to take it by storm? "'As to that, I do not remember.' "'Thus closed a weary long sitting without result. "'Every device that could be contrived to trap Joan "'into wrong thinking, wrongdoing, or disloyalty to the church. "'Oh, stillfulness, as a child at home, or later. "'Had but been tried.' None of them had succeeded. She had come unscathed through the ordeal. Was the court discouraged? No. Naturally, it was very much surprised, very much astonished, to find its work baffling and difficult instead of simple and easy. But it had powerful allies in the shape of hunger, cold, fatigue, persecution, deception and treachery. And opposed to this array, nothing but a defenceless and ignorant girl, who must, sometime or other, surrender to bodily and mental exhaustion, or get caught in one of the thousands of traps set for her and had the court made no progress during these seemingly resulting, well, resultless, let's say, sittings. Yes, it had been feeling its way, groping here, groping there, and found one or two vague trials, which might freshen up by and by and lead to something. The male attire, for one instance. The visions and the voices, of course. No one doubted that she had seen supernatural beings, and been spoken and advised by them, and of course no one doubted that by supernatural help miracles had been done by Joan. Such choosing out the king and the crowd when she had never seen him before and her discovery of the sword buried under the altar. It would have been foolish to doubt these things, for we all know that the air is full of devils and angels that are visible to traffickers in magic on the one hand and to the stainlessly homely on the other. But to what many and perhaps most did doubt was that Joan's fissures Joan's voices and miracles came from God. It was hoped that in time they would be proven to have been of satanic origin. Therefore, as you see, the court's persistent fashion of coming back to that subject every little while and spooking around and prying into it was not to pass the time with it. It has strictly been business end in a view. So what's happening here, guys, for me to just explain to you in the simplest of terms, because we are still listening to Louis Comte, his journal, what he wrote, what actually happened. They are trying to defame her character. They are trying to make out her sorcery and her voices are from Satan and the devil and are not from God. Of course they are from God. Of course they were the saints talking to her. I absolutely, truly believe her, and I I actually don't care at this point whatever beings she was talking to clearly did france the good that they needed and she never killed anyone in battle you know not personally herself did she ever kill anyone she let them go she let them live free she did not torture like they did the english i'm english but let's say like we did we tortured okay We used them as slaves, and we really, really mistreated them, and we murdered them in a second. Joan did not do that for the French. Oh, no. She did not go out there to purposely kill English. No, no, no. You know, even if she captured them, she would feed them in her own home and send them on her way. That, that's a true saint. That is no devil. That is, by God, that is a saint. But what they want to do is make her out to be a witch make her out like she's coercing with the devil so that they can kill her. Because the English want her dead. And that's sick. And it it breaks my heart because she was amazing, guys. She was amazing. Anyway, I'm going to leave this part here as we're getting to the end now, obviously. And uh, please come back for the next episode. You don't want to miss the end, guys. Many blessings.